Hi, I'm Dave, and you're listening to Making Problems to Solve, a podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. Today, I'm talking to Dan Scrimma from Woe Shop Woodworking. <laughs> How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Also, thanks a lot for uh, hanging out with me today. We met, I think, at Maker Camp a couple of years ago at this point, and I know you started a couple of new ventures recently, so I figured I wanted to have you on there. Yeah. Talk about it. So no, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I've for I don't know five six years now. I've been making custom furniture at night um, as the second job uh, after the kids are in bed. And then um, it, the more I do it, the more I realize I really wanted to do that in more of a group setting. Um, I loved. So we actually met at the Group Forge uh, last year. That's that was it. my first time. Yeah, that was my first time up in East Durham. Um, and just that whole that whole vibe of just people running around making stuff with a little bit of chaos, but a common goal. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I've I've taken a I taken a couple woodworking classes a couple of years ago, um, and I like that everyone's building the same thing, but you're all kind of building your skills or whatever. But I've always I've always been drawn to teaching. I just didn't have the experience up in, up until now to feel comfortable kind of starting that kind of venture. Um, and this area where I am outside of Philly is it's like primed for a maker space. And that's kind of what I'm envisioning starting out with woodworking, because that's what I know. Uh, I know how to estimate how much that's going to start up, you know, how much that's going to cost and everything. Um, but I would love it to be a true maker space having woodworking and blacksmithing and leather and pretty much all the, you know, a smaller version of everything that you see at maker camp. I would love to have that kind of stuff, even if it's, you know, guest teachers coming in and doing like a week long class or something like that to get started. But, um, you know, therein lies the issues with insurance and business plan and all that kind of stuff and how to fit all that other stuff in is, is been a, it's definitely a new world for me. Um, but I, around here we're, we're primed for a makerspace entirely. They've been putting up so many apartments, so many condos, so many, everything. Um, where nobody has garage anymore. No one has right. a basement. No one has anything. After COVID, everyone's been inside. Now, no longer the case, but like for a while, people, a lot of the stuff that they were doing just died off. Um, so many places closed. They're just, um, people are looking for something to do. Um, and I feel like every time that I tell anybody locally about this, they get kind of amped up. Even if they're not a maker themselves, they're like, that is an awesome idea. You know, my whoever, everyone knows somebody who would, be a perfect member there like my uncle used to do that and now he doesn't have his garage anymore or whatever um there's always somebody that's excited about it so it, it makes me excited that's pretty cool so what um do you have an idea of like when you decided that you know you were drawn to teaching like uh what the, what's the history of that it's funny i've i've always I, so i'm the oldest of nine kids um so i've I was babysitting when I was six years old. Like I've always been teaching just in my life, <laughs> just from, just from growing up with that many younger, younger kids around. Um, and then <laughs> oddly enough in, uh, in high school, uh, I won the superlative my senior year, most likely to return and teach. And I don't know why I got that. <laughs> just everyone around me seemed to kind of have that same thought of, of me, which was kind of cool. Um, and I, I don't know. I've always been drawn to, to break stuff down. Um, we have, we have cub scouts that come in. Um, 
you know, once once a year for the past couple of years, we had the Pinewood Derby here or whatever. But I love doing demos of tools, getting seeing the kids get all really excited about it. Um, and even even people that are peers of mine, if I just happen to have done something that they're working on, it's there's such a fine line between offering advice, whether it's solicited or unsolicited, and having the tact to do yeah. that. Um, and having that advice heard without coming off as kind of a know-it-all, um, and I, I feel like that's one of my that's one of my skills is being able to have that kind of tact where people are really listening, and you're not trying to, you know, impose what you're saying on them. Um, but I've just always had a knack for it, and I would love to do it in kind of a more permanent basis. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think that? your vision for the makerspace is to um, have a a big focus on education then? I think so. Yeah. So I've, I've spoken to a lot of makerspace owners throughout the country. I've spoken to probably half a dozen at this point. And it's, it's, it's interesting how different parts of the country they're successful doing the makerspace thing, but in different, different approaches. Um, So some of them I've, I've seen have been totally successful with having members who are professionals that have their own commission, their cabinet builders, their whatever, and they don't have a shop. They don't want to invest in a full dedicated shop because they're going to be out doing installs and stuff. They just need a place to build stuff and get out. Um, so some of that stuff has been, has been interesting. And then there are others where they thrive on kids classes alone, which is actually pretty, pretty crazy. Um, they they make their rent with just kids classes, um, so there's that kind of stuff. And then you have the people that um, that hold the week long advanced classes, like they're making Windsor chairs, like down in Nashville. Um, you know that that kind of thing is is really cool because I know people who are who are working professionals who have degrees in woodworking who would be incredible instructors who could take on those types of classes, and those don't have to be. You know, you don't have to have 20 people in that class to be able to make it sustainable for a business. You can only ha- you can have six or seven people and the cost makes sense because you're always sold out every time you, you know, release a new date for the next one or whatever. Um, so I think the initial thought was group classes were just kind of getting you in the door. And then once you walk through the shop where all the members are, you're like, wow, this place is really awesome. I would love to come here whenever I want whenever they're open, that would be awesome. And then sell them on a membership. But I think the longer that, the longer that I look at it, I think that while that's still an option, I think having some more, some more advanced classes and having some, um, you know, week long classes and things dedicated to either a specific skill or a specific project could really be sustainable just in itself. Um, so it's a matter of me explaining that, in a business plan with numbers to make it sustainable <laughs> so that I can right. actually get it off the ground. That's kind of the hardest part right now. Yeah, I can imagine. I think that's why a lot of makers, uh, you know, stick to their personal shop, you know, whether they're yeah. a hobbyist or a, you know, a professional because the, you know, the burden and the complication of setting up the business is so much less. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but you just decided to, you know, jump right in. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, that's the thing. It's it's one of those things where, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot 
to work towards it. And I, I, I am in one regard, but at the end of the day, until I submit a loan application and get the money to actually open the place, until that happens, it's all really preparation and talking and networking and getting kind of a, you know, getting the word out locally so that I would love to open when you already have 50 members coming in. Um, because they've been anticipating it and they've gone to open houses before you've been open, soft openings, things like that. Um, so up and up until I actually open the doors, a lot of it is just preparation. Um, you know, and that's the thing. The nice part is that we have a shop full of tools already. So we have most of the stuff. We have most of the big ticket things. Um, and there are other, there are other, you know, woodworking membership based places around us there. It's not like that's unheard of in this area. There are a few. Um, they're not super easy to get to. Their hours aren't the best. But on the on top of it, there's um, there's stuff that we have that they already don't have. Like, but the big CNC, the laser, um, that kind of stuff is is a huge addition to to doing classes. And uh, and honestly, giving that as an option for people to, um, you know, I, I just worked on this table. I would love to have it engraved. Can you do that? Just have a, that little option there in the, in the member shop would actually be really awesome too. And the opportunity for classes and everything, how to run G code, how to generate G code, all that kind of stuff, um, are all unique classes. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great vision. I, I hope, uh, <laughs> hope you can, you can make that happen, you know, and obviously it's just the start right now. Yes. So you've only been, you know, or you, you haven't been one of the people who's been like, yeah, I've been in a wood shop for my whole life. My grandfather taught me how to do woodworking. Um, no. So what got you started? So it's interesting. So my, my grandfather did have a shop in his basement. It took up his whole basement and his garage. Um, the thing is, if you walked in, you would, you could barely see tools because there was just so much crap everywhere. Um, he, he had just everything down there because he was, um, he was a, uh, a, a chemist as his daily job, but then he had a second career as a plumber and just was kind of a do it all kind of guy. Um, so like, that's kind of where I think that's kind of where it's been implanted in my brain, but I didn't really get into this until, um, until my, my house that I share with, uh, with my wife and kids now, um, that we had a tree come down. Well, we took a tree down in in the house. It was a, uh, it was a new construction house. It was the last tree in the lot, but it was, a 40 foot pin oak tree that was a widow maker right next to my house. And it had to come down. And instead of, instead of chopping it for firewood or burning it or mulching or whatever, I had a portable bandsaw mill come out with a wood miser, mill it up. I was like, I don't know, maybe I could sell the lumber. Um, so I started researching stacking and sticking stickering and drying and everything. I got a stack up there and then I ended up with maybe four logs worth of, uh, worth of slabs. And I ended up selling maybe one log worth and it paid for the entire tree removal, milling. It paid for everything. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. Maybe I could, maybe I can make a little extra scratch, you know, doing this, hiring a thing. Like it's worth it if I just am willing to stack it and lift these heavy things around, whatever. And then one day a guy's like, yeah, I love this. I don't really have tools. I, I just wanted a live edge coffee table or something. Do you think you could just put some legs on it and finish it? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> the answer is yes till it's no. Um, so I bought a planer, bought, you know, a couple tools just to get started and just started, you know, messing around. Um, and just in messing around in my basement, I'm like, this is, this is really awesome. Like, I, I love the fact that I could take that from my backyard, turn it into something, give it to somebody and then sell it. And someone's willing to pay for it. This is great. 
um, that started that started to light the fire a little bit. Um, and then from there, I just had it in my head that my buddy was getting married and uh, I wanted to build him something for his wedding because he was buying a new house with his with his soon to be wife and all that stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm going to build him a dining table. I don't know how. Uh, I'll just use the lumber from my backyard. Why not? It can't be that hard. And I went down the YouTube rabbit hole and, you know, I made a lot of jigs and a lot of different things to build up my shop, but I was working on the ground in my basement, running stuff through the lunchbox planer and seeing it struggle and whatever. Um, it took me nine months to make my first <laughs> trestle table, something that I could probably do in about three days now. Um, and it, it was such a fun learning experience, especially because when I gave it to my friend, he's, he's, he was floored with how cool it was. Um, what's funny is that what continued my journey of like, all right, I made something that looks good. I'm happy with it. But as like a developer, I, you always go back and look at your code from three months ago. And if it doesn't kind of gross you out, then you're not learning anything. <laughs> and right. it's the same kind of thing. I went back to his house six months later and the entire top had, had twisted and I was immediately, I was immediately annoyed. I'm like, I have to redo that. But that was years and years went by before I actually got it. I actually took it uh, about four months ago. Now they had that table for eight years and were totally happy with it. Even though the top had twisted a little bit, it bothered me every time I went over there. So I actually just went and picked up the table. I was like, I got to redo this. <laughs> so I redid the entire top and reflattened it and everything. Um, so now it's good again with lessons learned. But, um, that's how it got started. It really, you know, I, I took on that project. And then when people would ask me for cutting boards and things, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. If I can do a table, I can do a cutting board. Sure. And it just, and it got into every commission was yes until it's no. There were a couple times where I said, yes, got into it. And I said, there's, I thought about it <laughs> and I tried some stuff <laughs> and it's not, I, I'm not there yet. So it gave them their deposit back. Um, that happened early on. And now I kind of know my limits right now that I'm comfortable taking on a project um, of something that I haven't done before. There, there have been things I haven't done that I know I can just from, you know, all the different individual skills put together. I could probably figure that out. Um, and then there's a level of stuff that I just know is, is not for me. Um, you know, and I, I, I feel like anytime you're doing that kind of commission stuff, unless you're, unless you're confident, you can at least get it done. And that's even if, you know, if I had say a turn, like someone wanted turned legs on the on the dining table, I'm still making the majority of the table. If I could find turned legs, because I I don't know really how to use a lathe, um, not yet anyway. Um, but it's like if I can find those legs and then make the rest of it and incorporate the legs, I'll still take on the project. If I know a guy who's really good at a lathe and I can have him make it and sub out that part of it, I'll still take the project because I know it'll still be good in the end. Um, but if it's something where it's just completely over my head and I don't want somebody paying me to just like try out and test stuff. Cause now how do I even calculate how many hours I put into it? Because half of it was me just like screwing around <laughs> like th right. those kind of projects. I'll push off to somebody with a little bit more experience in that area. Um, but that's great about having a network of other furniture makers in this area. I could, I have a laundry list of people that I could pass work to if it's just not for me. Um, so that's the thing. We're we're still trying to build community here, even though it's, you know, you can call it competition. But in the end, you know, if one person doesn't doesn't want to take that job, they'll pass it on to somebody else. It's been really nice that way.
That's but, great that you're able to, you know, find those other people who are doing similar things because a lot of times people are like, I don't know anybody else who does this. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, by transitioning into being, uh, you know, like a furniture maker, then you're turning that into a business that's a little different than just being like a, just a hobbyist woodworker. So you're like, I just make things right. out of wood, but you don't have like focus. So you don't. Right. Um, but your furniture maker is something that, yeah, you can find, definitely find that person, even in the, you know. Absolutely, or internet or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, right. Absolutely, and it's and essentially because like the more the more I do it, the more I have the mentality of a general contractor. Because you know whether you're subbing out, you know I have my drywall guy. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm doing drywall, I'll call that guy. He'll come do it. I know he does a great job. You know, I know a couple guys that make metal legs. If I need metal legs, I could get them on Etsy. I'd rather not. I'd rather just go get them from someone local who can who can make them. Um, you know, so I'm trying to build that network of people that I know who will respond, who will give me an estimate so I can give my estimate, et cetera. Um, you know, if I need a fabricator to do some things, you know, looking for just, all right, I have my fabricator guy or they want some piece in leather to like, you know, have leather, leather on their upholstered, ben- upholstered bench or something like it would be great to have a guy to do that part of it. Um, while I learn. And if, if they want to take on the job, I'll just go over when they're doing it. Just look over their shoulder. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's, it's cool going from hobbyist woodworker to custom furniture maker. And that's, it's also kind of a funny thing saying that I'm a custom furniture maker. Cause I found that by just saying I'm a woodworker, um, I got a lot of like architectural leads and questions you're like, hey, I have this 1800s farmhouse with this foot tall, uh, you know, crown molding. Like, can you replace some of it? I'm like, I can't. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, saying that I'm a furniture maker makes it a little bit more a little bit more specific. Um, sure. Yeah. And do you remember kind of how you got the confidence, or what made you think that to call yourself a furniture maker? you know, as a, you know, a professional. Yeah. It's, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I call myself a professional now. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, there are a couple things where I always had the mentality that I knew how to do something. It was the execution that was always, always the challenge for me because I didn't got a lot of, I didn't get a lot of repetitive practice on certain things. Um, that's why I'm a majority power tool user. I'm not really a hand tool woodworker because I I dove into commissions right away. Um, And from doing that, it doesn't really allow you a lot of time to just screw around and practice and fail and practice and fail. I'm not, you know, I'm not spending my time in the shop practicing hand cut dovetails like every night until I really get it down. I get the muscle memory that's needed to like charge for that. because I'm busy trying to get projects out the door. And it's it's funny. That seems to be it seems to be a lot of YouTube woodworkers that I I followed in when I first got started. A lot of them were yeah, I used to do commission stuff all the time and I hated it. Um you know, I think Mark Spagnola said he did com- commission furniture for years before he actually got into the YouTube thing and, and teaching and classes. And then I haven't hit the wall where I dislike it. I really, I really kind of enjoy doing commission projects. Um, but the problem with that is if I'm going to open a makerspace, I'm going to be running a makerspace. I'm not going to be 
building commission projects as much. So now I have to take kind of one passion and just kind of twist it in a different direction so that I'm kind of helping other people build commission furniture instead. Um, and honestly, I think I'm going to get as much, if more satisfaction out of teaching and running that kind of business than I am just building stuff with, my, you know, myself. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I, you know, it, I probably called myself an actual professional when I was able to make a trestle table in under a week with a bench with finish and the client loved it. It's exactly what they asked for. To me, I'm like, I could, I could envision what it is. I, I know I can execute on it. And then I do, and it's done out the door without it just lingering in the shop for weeks and weeks. Because um, that's to me, because a professional also gives you a timeline and delivers on it. They don't just kind of putz around until it's, um, you know, been sitting and collecting dust. Um, so, yeah, that's, I, I guess that's where it, it changed into, you know, from hobbyist to actual thing. Also, when I incorporated, <laughs> it was like, all right, this is official now. Now I'm paying taxes on this. So <laughs> now, now I have to, now I have to call myself a professional. I'm still curious how you, um, you said you just, um, you're like, I'm going to build a dining table and you went out and bought some tools or even when you cut the tree down, what even gave you the idea that you could cut down a tree and turn it into lumber and sell it to people? You know what? By then, by then I was already, I was already watching Jimmy for two years, three all years. Right. By then I was watching Jimmy. I was watching, you know, I was deep in the weeds with Jay Bates. Um, you know, I was, I was watching April do stuff in her, in her garage and hey, I'm just going to, you know, go build my own deck and now I'm going to do a, you know, enclosure for my dust collector outside. I was like, how do you know how to do this? Um, it, it always intrigued me that the answer was they didn't a lot of times and they just started doing it. <laughs> um, I just love that whole mentality and, um, I, it, it's funny. I don't like as thing, I started doing the woodworking then when the tree was cut down, but like I tinkered and whatever in my uh, father-in-law's basement here and there. And I made some really crappy stuff in there with whatever he had around. He didn't have woodworking tools. He just had, you know, homeowners, a, a tool, toolbox or whatever. Um, but it was, I, I just, I was always been, a, I've always been a maker of things and the thing is it wasn't ever physical and I've always, I always wanted it to be, I was a computer programmer. Um, so I did, I built code, I built applications, I built websites, I built all that kind of stuff. So I still had the, you know, the mental satisfaction of building something from nothing and then having people really respond to the finished product, which was great. Um, and it got to the point where after being a developer for at that point, probably 12 years, 12, 13 years, and staring at a computer from nine to five programming. And before, yeah. you know, before I met my wife, I was programming late into the night. I was trying to do startups with programming. Like I was trying to chase the Silicon Valley thing. Um, I, I just didn't want to look at the screen anymore after work. <laughs> I just wanted sure. to do something physical. Um, so it just kind of, I don't know. It just kind of, the idea popped in. I don't know where it's a good question, actually. I don't know why I decided to mill the lumber instead of just get it taken away. I don't know if it, I, to honestly, knowing me, I don't actually know this, but put myself in, you know, Dan from nine years ago, uh, I probably was trying to save money with the uh, tree service. <laughs> so I like, just drop go. the tree, just leave it there. Whatever, I'll figure out something to do with it. Um, but 
yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm glad the way it worked out though. Yeah. I think that, you know, the people that you, you mentioned from YouTube, they'd probably be pretty, pretty happy that, you know, their example showed you that you can, you know, start with a little bit of information and determination and, yep. you know, fig- yep. figure out things along the way. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and honestly, being, being a person with, uh, being a person with very, very strong ADHD, uh, I think, I think the neurologist called me a poster child was her, was her terms. <laughs> um, okay. being someone who just jumps around just mentally and physically and have a million hobbies and all this kind of stuff. Woodworking is something that brings me like completion of a project because I have to, because I'm getting paid to do that. Um, it, it's been a really good way of kind of, you know, having a discipline. Um, now that being said, I still have, I, you know, just like, just like any other like hoarder or addict of just random things. Um, you know, as, as we spoke earlier today, like I just, I bought a printing press because it was local. It was like, <laughs> I just want, I just want that. <laughs> like, that'd be really cool. Um, you know, I got a laser just because I was like, I want to, I just want to laser some stuff. I think that'd be really cool. If it works in the, the business, I'll, I'll make it work. Um, you know, I, I go to the group forge. I'm going to the group forge in a couple of weeks up, up at the Blackthorn again. You know, I, I never blacksmith. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, so I, I love tinkering in a lot of those things. So if I'm going to tinker with something, it's generally not a tiny thing. It's generally a really big thing. Uh, as long as it's out of my house, my wife doesn't have to yell at me about it but yeah no it's been uh right. it's been fun all right so it just seems like you just have the you know unlimited curiosity if you see something you know piques your interest you're like i think i can try that or you know yeah. try to learn yeah more absolutely about it at least yeah. yeah the the problem is that when i want to learn more about it i go buy all the crap that i need <laughs> <laughs> and I right, have right. it all. It sits in a box. I'm like, ah, we'll get to that. I mean, I have a whole box of uh, silversmithing stuff because of Maker Camp. So I made a ring for my daughter. I was like, this isn't that hard. And she gave us a list of materials. I'm like, that was a mistake. Now I'm going to go buy it all. <laughs> <laughs> so all I right. went and I bought everything. So it's just sitting in a box. I'll get to it eventually. Yes, but this is now it's preparation, right? So exactly. you have your silversmithing class. Um, of course. Your makerspace. Yep. Exactly. We just, they just had the silversmithing class at the Blackthorn this weekend. Yep. Our, yep. You know, Same instructor. Should... A couple of minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you could. Right, she, yeah. Curtis was teaching at Maker Camp. Um, yep. So yeah, maybe you know, maybe that'll be a class you have at your your space. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. As long as I have like a space where I'm allowed to have stuff. So that's the thing. Like, I as much as I want it to be a a full blown maker space, I want it to be more of a maker space towards the physical things that you're using with your hands. Like a lot of the maker spaces, especially in this area and around the country, a lot of them are 3d printing and they're, you know, designing raspberry Pi, you know, things, stuff like that. There's a lot of it is electronics, which is totally cool. And I totally overwhelmed with the things that people can make in, in just like a small amount of time with those things blows my mind. Um, but like that, and a primary like woodworking shop aren't going to go hand in hand without a lot of planning and a lot of, you know, design um, and separation of spaces and a facility large enough to house that kind of operation. 
I would love to get there. But I think in the beginning, it's going to be more like metalworking and welding and maybe blacksmithing if I can get an outdoor space. So that's kind of a whole question mark on the building that I get. Um, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be right. doing blacksmithing inside <laughs> next to a floor with a sawdust on it. Um, well, no, you definitely want to have a, a definitely <laughs> a wall uh, in between yeah. these two activities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. Sure. I mean, I know that the, I mean, the makerspace that is around me, they started in a uh, abandoned McDonald's that was in a parking garage. So, nice. Well, so just the fact that they put a McDonald's in a parking garage in the first place, but, um, you know, they were there for only a few years and then they expanded into this uh, huge space. That's, uh, that's awesome. Know, multiple floors of a building and they, they have everything. So they have, you know, sewing, yeah. they have electronics, they have, uh, you know, um, industrial 3d printers they have welding everything so that's cool and that's and that's uh, like a um, yeah and they have that stuff just all the time so if you remember you can do any of those things or is it like mostly class-based um they do classes but yeah most of theirs is actually people who just use the equipment and the oh, that's cool. are more in additional nice that's really cool yeah sweet Okay, you got something going on in the background there. It sounded like someone opened the garage door. He did. <laughs> and he walked in. <laughs> it's, it's, my, right. it's, it's, it's Jake, who, uh, who was at the Group Forge as well. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, is Jake, uh, Jake, are you coming to the Group Forge again? <laughs> you can ask him, obviously. He's, he's not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, Jared. A visible guest uh, on the show. I was now lost in my train of thought there, but <laughs> sure. So did you, um, I always like to find out, did you have any formative experiences uh, using tools like in, you know, shop class or anything? No, I went to, um, I went to all Catholic school. Shop class was not a thing. Uh, <laughs> we <go> had, <laughs> we, we yeah. had no, we had no extracurriculars that ever, uh, whatsoever. I think honestly, what would have been shop class was pretty much religion class being, it was a Catholic school. Um, right. So yeah, no, right. I had, I had no use of a tool at all until I had my first house and I used, that's honestly, that's where the, the YouTube, like, you know, whole became a part of my life because I was learning how to gut a house and redo everything from sure. scratch. Um, so I bought like whatever the Ryobi table saw, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll guess I'll figure out how to use this or whatever. Um, but yeah, nothing when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't really use any any tools at all. Um, my dad is not a handy guy. Uh, you know, my grandfather was so a little bit with him, but a lot of it was, you know, random one-off stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't anything. Yeah. I, I was never like in a shop, <laughs> which would have okay. been awesome. I probably would have loved it, but yeah. And I think that that's, um, yeah. One of the things I always go on about, uh, <laughs> every episode pretty much <laughs> is talking about, you know, just giving people exposure to these things to let them know they even exist. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Because- Absolutely. No. And it's, it's funny because talking to the one maker space where the kids programs were a, a solid part of their business. I mean, they, they had 1200 kids signed up for an ongoing membership. So it wasn't even like it was, wow. you know, it was a, it was an eight week program. And every whatever, and they would have time slots like every all right, your group every Monday from after school from like four to five, you guys are in, and the next group's five thirty to six thirty or whatever. And they would do 
they would start at the beginning and they would be like, all right, the first class is a table saw class. We're going to learn how to use it. Um, and they just started going around the major tools. And after eight weeks, they were able to make, you know, like a, a cutting board or a coffee table or whatever and bring it home. Um, but all the kids were between like 12 and 16, something like that. So they weren't super young, um, but they were old enough to understand that you can get hurt doing this. Um, uh-huh. So you kind of have to be past the kind of fooling around silliness phase, but like 12, 12 years old is perfect, perfect age to get into a shop for that. I mean, obviously you can get in there younger. I mean, my kids have been in my shop, but I'm not letting them touch a lot of stuff yet. Um, right. But yeah, no, it's, um, it's cra- It's crazy how popular a program like this could be. Cause it's the same thing, like exposing kids to different things. People do, you know, I have, I have three kids. Had them in, had them in swimming, have them in karate, have them in sports, have them in whatever. But if they get bored after a couple of weeks, then like, why am I paying for this? Like, I should probably stop, try something else. Um, something like this is is perfect to to get some exposure because that's the thing. It might it might really get some kids really excited about it. Yeah, definitely a great opportunity. So, uh, looking forward to it. See where you go with it. So. Uh, you revealed to me, uh, we were talking, uh, while we were trying to get our microphones, uh, working <laughs> as a, um, that you, uh, you were in a band. <laughs> I was, I yeah. was, did you, um, did you start that, uh, when you were a teenager or? <laughs> yeah. So, um, that, that is also something that, you know, was probably, I probably, I probably could have been, uh, diagnosed ADHD when I was like six. And then that wasn't really a thing when I was six. So I guess they waited until after college to give me those, you know, those letters of honor. Um, But yeah, when I was six years old, I wasn't allowed to wear shoes um, in my kindergarten because I would tap my feet nonstop. Um, And then it turned into tapping with a rhythm and my teacher couldn't concentrate on doing anything. So she made me take my shoes off, which was fun. Um, But no, I was I started drumming when uh, when I was 12 and um, my parents got me. I was begging for, I was begging for drums. It was whatever. So they got me drum lessons. They got me five lessons for Christmas when uh, I was 12 at the hopes that I'd get frustrated with only five lessons. Um, and I would quit. Uh, and after the second lesson, the, the guy asked my mom, he's like, so he's never, he's never taken drums, huh? (laughs) She's like, no, why? He's like, he's, uh, he's a natural. (laughs) He should, he should be doing this a lot more. He should get a kid at home. Um, so I, I saved up whatever money I could scrap from like, you know, raking leaves and snowing driveway or uh, shoveling driveways or whatever. Um, and I bought my first kit and then, uh, yeah, my, my band in eighth grade started when we were 13, writing our own music and playing horrible stuff in my basement. It was, uh, it was awesome, (laughs) but no, that same band, the same two people that I was in the band with, um, we played through college. We played, you know, a show up until like my junior, senior year in college. So it was, uh, it was awesome. All original rock music. That is, uh, that's really fun. Do you have any uh, recordings of those? Oh, we, I do actually. We we recorded several albums. Um, we were invited. Uh, we, we funny funny thing was that we were offered a record contract when we were sixteen um, by this label, Jet Speed Records, in uh, in North Jersey. And, uh, <laughs> my, my guitar player's sister was a lawyer and she took a look at it and just laughed. She's like, there's, 
absolutely no way any of no. us are going to sign this for you. It's like this pretty much is a, this is signing that you're going to be in the poorhouse until you're like 25 paying them back for all this stuff. Um, so then they, we got the same record contract from them. Uh, oddly enough, as soon as we turned 18 and we didn't need our parents and we had her look at it again. She's like, this isn't any better. You probably shouldn't sign this. <laughs> and we didn't. But we were we were pretty good. We had we recorded three albums in the studio um, that we had a we had a really killer MySpace page. <laughs> of course, you were right. The perfect time for it. Oh, it was it was awesome. MySpace and handing out flyers outside a Bowery ballroom down in uh, the village. Um, yeah, it was great playing playing at bars when we're sixteen and seventeen. Um, that was probably more when we were closer closer to eighteen. I think it was like senior year of high school. But we would play play in bars, and then you're now in the bar. So I don't know. They're not going to ID you if you're in the band. Um, so that was yeah. kind of fun. They didn't try to. Yeah, I know that some places, depending on uh, what yeah. the, probably what their status was, and uh, yeah. <laughs> with the local uh, law enforcement, yeah. you know, a lot of times they're like, no, you guys, you guys have to stay backstage. You can't exactly. You stay backstage. You go in. You play. You leave. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's super cool. And it's great that I mean your parents were like skeptical at the beginning. They had thought you oh, were bored uh, with it. But. Well well again, at that at that point they had eight kids. They're like Yeah, yeah, yeah we want we want drums we want drums in our house. That's what we want. Yeah. <laughs> we we need more noise. <laughs> but they did um they did end up uh like allowing that to happen even if they didn't necessarily yeah. it's one of those things, like I bought the kit with my own money. Okay. They're like we can't fault you for saving money and buying this. So whatever. Wow. <laughs> and they just kind of let it happen until we moved into my bass player's garage, uh, like a couple of years later. But oh, that was you give him a break. I, like it's funny. I can't imagine now being a parent with kids. So my my daughter's in School of Rock now. Actually, right. Um, this is awesome, awesome program. But she's learning basics of music and how to play a guitar and all this kind of stuff. And she's seven. Um, but I can't imagine thinking about it now having like my 16 year old with a band in my basement and then having some guy show up to the house with boxes full of electronic equipment because he's going to record an album in your basement like the eye rolling is going to be so extreme <laughs> like what is what is happening right now um but they, they let it happen it was fun that's amazing that is that's super cool i mean <laughs> you almost um there's two different ways to go with that right if you have nine kids right, right? yeah you like Oh man, they they support your artistic dream, or they're like, <laughs> we don't we don't know what's happening. We, we don't have no. any energy left to complain. About no, anything. absolutely, yeah, no. no. Being the, being the oldest, they're just like, no, just no. There's no artistic dream here for for you. <laughs> there's <laughs> go to college and, and get a good job, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, but they still let it happen, right? So. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Again, you <laughs> didn't necessarily, you know, you you went to college and you didn't. Uh, yeah, just quit, become a rock star. Yeah, right. Exactly. I wanted to, but uh, yeah, no, it wasn't yeah. wasn't in the cards. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is is I think everybody should probably learn how to play an instrument enough to have fun playing music, and then Absolutely. You know, some people are going to be able <laughs> to turn it into a career, but not very many. Yeah, you exactly. Know? No, that would be. I I think so. I like my um my kids already my kids already get it. They're going to play something whether they're inclined like musically naturally or not they're they're gonna play something because yes i can already tell they they already like my daughter's like i want to be an artist and a singer like she already that's already in her head uh awesome 
yeah, and my son's in the back in his like car seat, like you know, smashing his arms and look, I'm playing drums. So yeah, nice. It'll be fun. We'll have a family band soon enough, and I'll be able to play again. Amazing. Do you have a? Do you have your drums still? I do. Yeah, they're not set up, but they're in they're in my house in my basement. Uh, the kids have more instruments set up than I do right now. They got they got a little drum kit. They have a piano. They have some other stuff. And that was you know that was actually one of the other random, I guess, hobby things. Uh, there was a free player piano um, that was like down the street from me, so I immediately went and got it. Um, so it was an it was an orchestrion. So it had the player piano on scrolls, but then it also had a bass drum, a snare drum, a triangle. Um, they had a xylophone underneath and a couple cymbals or whatever and a, and a cowbell. Um, but that all played on the scroll. But like the wow. airlines were, the airlines were all like dry rot and not working. So to make it work, I'd have to open the whole piano up and like reconstruct. And it was funny. It, it came with paperwork because this was a normal piano and some guy converted it to be an orchestrion by incredible following some sort of like Sears mail home magazine catalog thing. And he had letters that he wrote to the company like, Hey, here's what I'm trying to build. I think I need these parts. And they would send him back letters. We're like, yeah, for that kind of operation, you need this kind of tubing this much. Like they had all this letters of physical correspondence back and forth, building this orchestrion over the course of like three years. And the guy actually got it to work and it was coin operated. It was cool as hell. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, it was the coolest freaking thing. I just couldn't, I could not dedicate any time to it, which sucked because then I had to convert my garage to get rid of it. But I sold it to a guy who was a, who was a professional restoration person and he was going to actually restore it. Um, so I need to follow up with him. It's been, it's been two years at this point. Um, I would love to see that thing work. It's so cool. But yeah. So like it was music. It was like a little bit of mechanical stuff. Um, it had some sort of woodworking because the piano needs yeah, to be restored. So immediately I went and got it, of course. But no, it was, you know, that's, that's typical for me. If I see it online and it's really cool and local, that's, yeah, I'm probably going to go get it. <laughs> yeah. Except, except, for, except for the printing press, which was like the perfect shirt because it was in a basement. Right. <laughs> it barely fit. I had, to, I had to take every part off of it to get it up the stairs. And that was a feat of dangerous strength between me and the yep. uh, guy I was buying it from. Yeah, you need to know, um, yeah, mechanical advantage is the way to go there. Mm -hmm. No, I love this, uh, but the just the piano story is amazing. Just having all of that paperwork and the whole story of how it went. You can imagine, oh, so right? Cool. If you did that now, you could think about the series of YouTube videos of like building right. this thing, restoring yeah. it. It would be yep. incredible. So yep. I really hope that uh, it does get fixed. I do, yeah. So that's that's one of the things where, like, normally when I sell something on marketplace, I delete the listing, I delete all correspondence, I like just pretty much just cut everybody off because I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear people complaining them. about it. Yeah, no, I don't want people to hear like complaining about it a year later. Um, this guy, I kept it around, and he's it's still like an active thread, so I can go find it and whatever. Um, I would love because he was going to take it to some lady that he works with who's going to evaluate essentially if it's possible to restore it and if it's even worth it. Um, yeah. So she was going to go look at it, but he could, as he was loading it up, he's like, dude, everything's here. Like, there's no reason we can't do it. The only thing that was missing. And what's funny is I got it in from the back of a, a, an auto, uh, um, 
no, not an auto body place. It was a, um, they were like asphalt driveway guys. It was wow. in the back of their shop. And I'm like, why is this here? Um, <laughs> like when, and you could tell there was one guy in the building that was so into it. Like he was back there. He was trying to get it to work while I was buying it. Like he was all, he was all <laughs> stoked to see it working. You can see the guy that like was probably the reason. Um, but they were called um, Swan Paving or whatever was the name of the company. And the whole front of this orchestrion was a stained glass of a swan built into the piano. And that's why this guy got it to be like some sort of weird showpiece when people would walk into the driveway place, oh, wow. which <laughs> no one's walking in there. Like <laughs> it's just where they house all their equipment. Um but he bought it and he's like, yeah, I bought it and it sat back there for the last three years and now we need to get rid of it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But he kept he kept the stained glass of the swan. So now even if I got it working, I'd have this big hole in the middle. So my head was immediately like almost like the maker oh, man, like epoxy. Yeah. So in my house, in my head, it was kind of like Jimmy's maker man, like epoxy stained glass in quotes type of thing. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll make something cool. Um. I, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I never did, but I need to follow up with that guy. Right. It's actually a good reminder. Cool. Yeah, actually, no, this is a great opportunity for you to learn how to do stained glass and restore <laughs> Dude, I would love, glass. I would love to learn to the guy stained glass. The piano. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. And if it's not done, give it back to me now because I'll have a makerspace to put it in. <laughs> right, right. That would be, yeah, I mean, just imagine if having that, you just put it right in the middle of the makerspace, right? Yeah. And everybody yeah. who comes in is like going in the back and they're trying to fix something. Absolutely. Well, and yeah. that's the thing, like it, the whole envision, the whole vision I have for the makerspace is not just like, uh, it's not, I don't want it to be just like an old guy hangout, really. I want it to, I want to have a lot of people in a lot of age groups in there. Like I want it to be a really fun sure. vibe when you go in there so that you come out, you go grab a coffee in the lounge, come back, work on some stuff, talk on projects with, talk about projects with other people. Um, not just heads down get out of my way i'm making cabinets and i gotta get out of here and that's the thing it's it's gonna be it can go down that route or it can't it's kind of that's that part of it's hopefully in my control but yeah no that that'll be really cool i have to follow up with the guy i wonder if that guy even has it if he even uh worked on it or not but yeah i mean it's such a cool story just uh, you know having that history back to when it was originally <laughs> you know created yeah this yeah. frankenstein machine yeah Oh, it was so. it was so cool, so cool. And what was funny is when I went and got it, I called piano movers that were local, so they they drove up from Philly. It was literally just these two guys in a van. They had never seen anything like this before, and they had a van, not like a moving van with really high right. ceilings. They had like a white van, and <laughs> uh, so we immediately had to take and disconnect everything that was on top of the piano. So all the drums, all the cymbals, all the stuff. Like the guys were literally just walking by, just like plucking things out, and just I was like, I don't know where any of that goes. <laughs> they just opened it all. You're like, wait, no, I gotta take a picture of this whole thing. It was the project was dead before it started. Like it just, it just was. There's no way I was figuring all that out. But <laughs> it could have been cool though. Well, if you think about it, all of that stuff, right? It's it's just a a very rudimentary computer program. It so. is. You can it definitely is. figure it out. It's all logic. It is. And what's what's cool is that um, they had one scroll. It was a tester scroll that came with it. And 
So I don't know if I don't know if you know how those those work. I barely do. Um, but there was an air compressor in it, and it's shooting air out. I think it's shooting air out constantly. So when it hits a hole in the paper, the it's air gets through. Or, it's opening yeah. the valve, and it gets through, and it hits the thing. Whatever. So there's one for every single note on the keyboard, black, white keys, everything. But then there's one for every other thing. So the test scroll would literally just be a series of holes all the way down. So you would see like everything. Do, 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 Operate, do, and it yeah. would go through the piano, it would go through the xylophone. But when I play that, half of them were like not working. I'm like, there's going to be a only lot half. to fish. <laughs> yeah, only half. So out of half like a, however, however many keys, however many xylophone keys, however, but whatever, like I'd have to fish every single one of them one by one. <laughs> yep. But like I see these people on YouTube doing stuff that's so much more complicated than that. Oh, yeah, like sure. that would be that would be a layup. The, the guy that did the the marble clock, have you seen that? Um, um yeah, I think I saw that came by on uh, YouTube. Oh my lord. This this craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. These 3D printing all these parts and putting up everything on timers and gates and mechanical gears to like you know, recycle the marbles all the back up at the top and all black and white marbles and every second oh, right marbles fall in and the white marbles are forming the numbers only like, how the hell oh, that's do you crazy. do that and that's just so like it's, oh, it's, it's just not a YouTube just, video. you know a metaphorical display or something you're saying it actually is making like it's de- it's determining which balls are which mar- from the numbers from the dots which marbles are black and which marbles are white and it is literally showing you like an analog display of the time represented in the marbles and then the marbles go into chaos going all the way up and then they get reorganized somehow it is mind-blowing this guy's thing it's unbelievable and then he and he goes through iterations he just tries to get the mechanism to work and it's great it's just like just start he gets it to work he's like the worst thing that can happen is that i just have to redo this that's fine i'll just do it again (laughs) he just keeps like, (laughs) like having that mentality of just like I know that not only am I going to fail, I'm probably going to fail at least a dozen times in the process of this. And each time I fail, I have to rebuild everything up until that point in a different way. Like that's, that's a certain kind of mentality that I really envy because I don't, I don't know if I'm there. (laughs) That'd be, that'd be really impressive. Yeah. I mean, I think that's got to be aware of what your limitations are and like your amount of focus. And there's definitely people who have, you know, that focus where they're going to work on a project for, you know, yes. years. I mean, it's the same thing as yeah. like if you're restoring a car, right? And you take every piece off this car and then right, right, exactly re- rebuild it and put it back together. Yep. It's yeah. Not yeah. For I mean, no, it's definitely not like Bob doing the Carmen Ghia. Um, uh, I like to make stuff. I mean, that he's, yeah. you know, he's building panel by panel. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like, right. I'm going to build a rotisserie because I need to flip this thing upside down. It's like, okay, that's, yep. that's dedication. But, you know, that's really yeah. awesome. Right, but it's years of doing problem solving and you know being like, yep. I don't know how to do it, but I yeah. know how to learn how to do things. So yeah, and and that's the know. thing; it's you, you get satisfaction in the process. You're not just getting satisfaction from the final thing. It's like right, I was able to build the tool that I need to do the next step. Check like that, awesome. Like I, I'm satisfied with that part of it. I could take a little break, do something else, come back to it. It's like now I'm further along and I can start on, on a new thing. Just accepting that it's going to be a lot of little victories instead of just one big one. That's a grind the whole time is going to be yeah. huge. And, and that's where, that's where my mindset needs to be 
opening a makerspace. I'm not going to open a makerspace where everything is operational. Everything we have every discipline and everything's fully planned out. We have all of our classes lined up. It's going to be starting small, starting lean. We're like, let's just get people in the door and get them what they need to start working and having a good time. And then we'll see what they want. If all the members yep. want, you know, a new a new drum sander because everyone's going to use it. Okay, let's save up and get that. There's no point in getting everything at once, especially if you don't know what people want. Um, it's just going to be an iterative, iterative thing. Yeah, I think definitely you have to have that attitude. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, the makerspace itself is this long-term project that you're, yeah. you know, taking on. Yep, absolutely. Yep. All right, so what's oh, then, cool. then the piano after the makerspace? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the piano that that'll be a class. How to rebuild a maker? How how to b- rebuild an orchestrion? And then I'll just get half the people to do a lot of the work for me, and then it'll be restored. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, well, you probably that's the thing is once you have enough, uh, you know, critical mass members at the makerspace, yeah. Like, okay, this guy's good at you know machine. Yeah. This guy's good at hydraulics. Yep. <laughs> was, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Systems. Yep. No, it's totally true. And you definitely have to build a team for that. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's definitely true. And this thing, like, I I just want to, you know, it'd be great if you walk in, you have like an old record player playing music, and people are working and having a good time. Like, it's all in my head. It just has to be reality now. <laughs> but I'll get there. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, definitely the process is breaking that down to steps. Like, what's the minimum, you know, that you can yeah. start with, and then to build exactly. up to that build that community. Exactly. And it's nice because we have we have the tools at the minimum now. So right. we could get started now. It's just a matter of taking that leap. And unfortunately, the size of the building is a huge. It's a huge. That's one of those decisions I can't really undo <laughs> um, right. or redo. Um, so it's like, you know, you have to shoot for its minimum, but I still have to pay for all the space because I still need all that space eventually, even if it might be empty it's i'm yeah. still going to need it eventually if i want the amount of people so there are certain things that i can go minimum on the actual physical building is probably the one thing that i kind of have to nail um and there are no right. lack of buildings in my area there there are lots of them a lot of industrial mixed space you know with a fire suppression and, and a loading dock i mean that's really all i need um there are a million of those uh it's just a matter right. of you know being ready to sign tomorrow after you see it today um yeah you know getting to that point so it's been great i had i had a gofundme started and you know all local people that know me started donating to it which is fantastic and it's really just to get people talking about it um because i yeah i'm not gonna raise like significant money for that kind of stuff um you know but it'll be it'll certainly be enough to buy another table saw or buy a dust collection system honestly just piping (laughs) just ducting to a makerspace like that just ducting alone is probably going to cost, you know, $6,000. You know, it's, it's kind of nuts, but, um, it's been great. People are super generous and uh, I hate, I hate asking for like money, which is why I don't really push it that much. But, um, the people that know me that know that this is literally what I want to do, like every little bit helps. It's been great. And I think it, it's important, I think, to have that ability to just spread that message, right? And you yeah, know, that can just be one aspect of that. And I don't, you know, yes. I have no idea. I don't have any advice for what the best nah. way to yeah. reach out to the local community is. And, um, yeah, I just I'm not sure how how to do that. But it sounds like yeah. you're off to a good start there. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, um, it's been, it's been fun learning about all the different aspects of, of running the business. I'm, I'm taking an entrepreneur class now. Uh, it started, oh, it started this past week. Um, cause that's one of the questions that the, you know, the risk guy said, he's like, do you, do you have any like degrees in woodworking? I'm like, no. He's like, okay. Like, do you have degrees in business? No. All right. This has to be a really good, this has to be a really good plan. And you have a lot of homework to do. So it's been, it's been that kind of, you know, down to earth, like a dream is a dream, but to make it a reality, you have to work for it. <laughs> yeah. So, you, that, need to, you know, you need to plan. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to plan, you need to prepare yourself for whatever you can. And, it's, and that's the thing, having, having a place running on, you know, six to 10 full-time employees, it's not just now, now it's not just me. And now it's not just me yeah. and my family. It's, it's everyone else that works for me. That you know, uh-huh. their paychecks have to clear, their benefits have to be there. Um, yeah, you know, and and so I I'm taking all that you know extremely seriously when I'm starting this. Th- this isn't going to be just like a you know five friends are starting a makerspace with with no real plans. They just have a you know a space. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot yeah. a lot more a thought out than that. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Sure. It can't be that. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, well, that's that's kind of where my head is. Awesome. Well, best of luck with that. I hope, uh, you know, uh, any way I can help, you know, share their message, I'll, I'll do that. Obviously. Yeah, no, podcast I here, appreciate so it. Hopefully that helps. Absolutely. Well, no, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. So thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. You're quite welcome. But one of the other th- projects you just started was you started your own podcast. So. I did. I did. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's right in that same vein. It's called make it while you fake it. Um, so, you know, I jumped into, I jumped, it's, yeah, it's close behind you to make it till you make it. I like that. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's make it while you fake it because it's, um, you know, I jumped into commission woodworking and, and building custom furniture, just knowing what YouTube told me. And, um, I started gaining experience while I was making things. Um, and this is a similar thing, you know, I'm, I'm starting this business while learning a little bit along the way, being as prepared as I can. But, um, you know, honestly, it's, it's not going to stop me from getting started. I'm just gonna, I'm getting started. Um, cause it's literally all I want to do. So, um, I'm going to take the, take the passion and make it a reality, but in the process, I'll, you know, gain as much real life, uh, experience as I can. So yeah, it's, you know, hell or high water, it's going to happen because it's, it's all I want to do. So. Awesome. Yeah. So is that, um, kind of what the story of the podcast is going to be just uh exactly tracking, uh your journey exactly yeah it's like hey i'm a guy i make some furniture i now want to make it i want to open a maker space how, how am i getting there so a little right. it's a little bit of um it's a little bit of that process uh trying to share with people who might want to do that themselves in the future the, the roadblocks you're going to run into the insurance is a huge thing you know yeah. all all the kind of things that i know are big deals i just don't know the the size of the big deal. Um, right. And that's the thing, like I can go online and I put in all my stuff on, you know, with next insurance. I know that they sponsor a couple of YouTubers or whatever. Um, I look it up and it comes back where it's like $5,000 for the year for insurance. I'm like, there's no way, there's no way that's true. Maybe it is, but I don't know if that's the case yet. <laughs> so it's like, that's yeah. like insurance is like an entire day of going down the rabbit hole and calling a million companies and trying to describe what a makerspace is to them and see what they come back with, um, and going down that. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to document it through the podcast where, 
you know, each week I should really come back with a new update because I'm working on it every day. So there's always going to be an update one way or another. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of what the, the gist of the podcast is. And it's also, you know, Jake, you saw behind me, who's here, um, you know, him and I kind of, you know, just sitting around, sitting around the shop talking about stuff we're working on. So a little bit of a, sure. a loose, loose format, but yep. Yeah, yeah, just in the first episode, it was definitely fun to hang out with you guys, so. Yeah, yeah, to, no, it was fun. And honestly, a lot of that was, a lot of that was, A, making sure my mic worked, so, well, we still need to work on that. Um, but, like, how do I distribute it? How do I get it in the right format? How do I publish it to all these different things? So that was just, like, a learning curve myself. I'm like, I might as well just record it, and now I have it. Now I can play around with it. Um, but, yeah, we're recording. We're going to record tomorrow night. I don't know if we'll do every week, but going to try to. Um I think it's it's been a lot of fun so far, and it and it's fun hearing the people that have listened. That I would have no guess in the world that people would even care or listen. Um, so that's been actually really interesting to see people that I just run into, like, oh, I listened to your podcast. That was actually really interesting. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another way to you know get the word out. That'd be really cool. Get a uh, exactly yeah, local people uh, yep. talking about your yeah your independent radio show. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> So I do, yeah, doing doing any angle I can do to uh, spread the word on this. So great, awesome. So uh, if people want to, you know, see what's happening and the, what the progress is like, where can they? Uh, sure. Where can they find out about it? Yeah, sure. So we have um, we have an Instagram account for the Makerspace that is obviously yet to open, but is uh, it's at Monco Makers because um, we're going to be opening in Montgomery County, um, Pennsylvania. Um, uh, and then, uh, me personally, I'm, you know, at Woshot Woodworking, W-H-O-A, um, all one word on Instagram. Um, yeah. And then, uh, it's monco-makers.com, which is in progress, but, you know, building the website behind the scenes so that it's, uh, all ready for launch once we get to that point. Great. That's, uh. That's super cool. Yeah, we didn't really talk about where the makerspace was uh, was going to be. Oh so. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in the in the in the suburbs uh, north of Philly. So we're in southeast Pennsylvania. We're we're kind of in between. I don't know. We're we're maybe twenty miles uh, into Pennsylvania from Jersey. So really not okay. too far. Yeah. Sure. Good to know. Yeah, maybe you can uh, you know, spread out your <laughs> yeah know, yeah service area there. You know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Jersey as well. Yep. No, definitely. It's it's certainly not far enough. And honestly, the the ones that are around here, people are driving farther than that already. Um, right. So I feel like we're going to be positioned in Excellent. a really nice spot in the burbs here. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. I just want to take a second to thank the people over at Patreon who helped make this show happen, uh, especially my top patrons, uh, Sean Beckner, Brian Callahan, and Ed Johns. If you'd like to support the show and get access to the after show, you can go to patreon.com slash making problems to solve. Uh, you can always uh, leave a review or share the show with a friend as well. Uh, you can follow the show on Instagram at making problems to solve. And you can follow me on Instagram at Dave Bauer Art. Uh, thanks a lot for talking to me today. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs>